0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Welcome to Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. It is Wednesday, August 26, 2015. We've got a great show for you. Our special guest this evening is Sunita Patani. She's been on the show before discussing her book, The Transcendent Mind, but we're going to talk about eating tonight. She's got another book called My Secret Affair with Chocolate Cake, The Emotional Eater's Guide to Breaking Free. And I just finished the book, and it's... It's got a lot of great tips because like a lot of people, I'm an emotional eater. Sometimes I find myself with a handful, my hand going into the bag of organic popcorn and I'm just crunch, crunch, crunch. I'm like, what? I'm not even tasting this. I'm just like doing this because I'm wound up. I get emotional, I start eating. And I'm sure a lot of people are like that. And the diet dieting is very much a psychological issue. It's not just about food. It's about our relationship to food. And I've been on a ton of different diets. I've tried a whole bunch of different things over the past couple of years. And uh, I've finally broken through with a couple of things that I think work. And I'm going to share those with uh, Sunita and see what she thinks about it. But we're also going to talk about her book and the emotional aspects of dieting also. But let's see what's going on in the world. Well, we're getting towards the end of the summer here in New York City. And we have had, like I keep saying, week after week, a spectacular weather-wise summer. And uh, I just read that this is the 47th day in a row that the temperature has been above 80 degrees. And it looks like the next 10 days, I pulled up the weather forecast on my weather bug app. And uh, sunny and the low of about 68, high of about 85 for the next 10 days. So amazing going right into September. and got all kinds of stuff going on in September. I've got all kinds of stuff going on. I'm sure everybody's got stuff going on. It's going to be crazy here in New York City. We've got the president of China coming in to see Obama. We've got the Pope coming in. We've got the, I know the Clinton Global Initiative usually has their big meetings in New York. You've got all the big UN meetings, um, and I think they're going to talk about Palestine trying to, you uh, make it, or at least put something out there about making it recognized as an independent state and all all kinds of stuff, the stock market. We all know the stock market has been crazy between the dollar and the yen and China's devaluing the yen, their stock market's slipping. We got hammered here for like four days in a row. And then today the stock market erupted. It was up 600 and I don't know, 28 points, 38 points, something like that. We didn't get back all of the losses, but we got back, uh, I think, all the losses from this week. So it's been a, and I think it was the biggest increase in the history of the stock market. So it's been pretty wild, and I don't think we're done yet, and the experts don't think we're done yet. Yet the good news is the fundamentals on a lot of the companies look good, but this, this quantitative easing, the lack of a raising of the interest rates, the China economy slowing down. Nobody really understands how their stock market or their currency really works. And, uh, the U S th- what, what seems to happen is, and I'm simplifying this, so forgive me, but China keeps devaluing its currency. And the U S is its biggest customer and we keep printing more money. So both currencies keep getting devalued. So there's more and more of that money. And uh, the debt keeps rising. And, you know, the good news is a lot of these companies, the fundamentals are there and they're doing well. But a lot of, you know, you see the cracks and the chinks in the armor because it is kind of a house of cards. You've got the, the situation in Greece. You've got a lot of the third world or emerging economies. When there's, you know, it's the old story. My broker told me this a long time ago and it makes perfect sense. You know, the the tides go up. You want to be in a big boat's rise, all boats rise, but you want to be in a big boat when it gets choppy. So, and he actually got me out of a lot of the emerging market funds that we were in over the past six months. So thank you, broker. I won't identify his name because I'm sure he doesn't want everybody calling him, but anyhow, so the stock market's been wild. Uh, In the sports world, We've got the Yankees kind of just fell out of first place. The Mets are in first place. We've got the Giants and Jets all over the news. We've got fantasy football coming up for everybody, and this country is obsessed with it. And next week, actually, our guest is Scott Sweeney, who is a sp- uh, fantasy sports expert. He's been on the show a number of times. We're going to go through football. I've got my draft coming up on September 8th, and that's the first week of the season, I think a lot of – a lot of people have their fantasy football drafts, and so we'll get into that for a full hour next week. And uh, and you know the whole guys guys thing. I'm getting a lot of uh, play now. Uh, I got I'm on your tango, and your tango reaches I don't know like 30 million people or something. And they put me on the homepage yesterday with uh, one of my many blog posts uh, about who should pay for the first date. And my opinion is if a guy asks a, a woman out, first date, pay simple as that and uh you know if the woman doesn't want you to pay you know it could be a combination of uh she doesn't want to feel that she owes you anything she's not that interested in you or she just wants it to be even steven so to speak but anyhow i get into all of that so if you go on to uh, your tango you can read that also the whole guys guys movement which started with relationships and now has expanded into spirituality uh wellness and uh really human relationships about when men and women can be at their best everyone wins uh, better men better world that's our motto around here in the whole guy's guy's world but it started with my novel the guy's guy's guide to love if you haven't picked it up yet please do it's it's a it's a real it's a real book it's 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 chunky it's 350 pages long it's a story it's about something it's kind of a rom-com that's about something i've got also a screenplay that's being pitched right now and also a television series a pilot and a treatment and a non-scripted a bunch of guys guys ideas and a non-fiction book that's being pitched by my agent and uh lots of other stuff i'm working on the sequel to the novel right now and i'm also working on another non-fiction concept as well as pumping out uh a new, you know, 1200 word blog every week. That's on my website, robertmanny.com. Um, There's whole videos on my YouTube channel. We just started doing some uh, relationship tips on YouTube and, uh, which also get posted on the website, uh, Twitter at Robert Manny, Facebook, Robert Manny author, or just Robert Manny. If you want to hook me up on my personal account and then all of our, uh, 150, podcasts of guys guys radio are available on blog talk radio or itunes so uh, check it out and thanks so much for listening to the show and being a supporter of it now let's talk about tonight's guest and about dieting i want to start out with a little information about dieting as i mentioned earlier i've been trying all different types of diets uh, over the last couple of years, because I decided I I I want to get a handle on my weight. I've never been really overweight, but I've been like most Americans, where got that extra fifteen pounds or so. And it's just I, I'm a runner, and I still carry around extra baggage. And I I noticed that I just kept adding pounds, not doing anything different. But even though I was running and doing a lot of cardio and doing a lot of push-ups and doing some weight training, I still kept putting like a pound on every couple of weeks. And I was like, wow. And all of a sudden, you know, I became a dad and then I put some daddy weight on. Then I was at the highest level I've been at, which I got up to over 200 pounds. I'm five foot 10, but I'd never been there. And now I'm at 173. And it's been a combination of trying a lot of different diets. The first thing I did was I went on a couple of, uh, Cleanses. So I started with a master cleanse, which is uh, just drinking this powder with water, which is a combination of cay- cayenne pepper, lemon, and grade B maple syrup. So I did that for about eight or nine days. And believe me, it's tough to get started with that because that's all you're having. And uh, I lost weight, but then I gained about 75% of it back over time. And then I had two surgeries and I gained some weight from the antibiotics and just by not being able to be that physically active. Then I went on a organic juice cleanse. I did three of those and I lost, I lost some weight. Every time I lost about 15 pounds with all these different cleanses and diets. And, uh, slowly I noticed my weight creeping up again. And then I finally put it all together. I spoke with my wife who's uh, a pretty high end yogi. She trains yoga teachers, and she's very good with the nutrition. And, uh, together we went on a diet at the beginning of July for the whole month of July. And it worked. And I'm still at the same level. We stopped August 1st and I'm still at the same weight that I was 26 days ago. And so basically what we did was I worked with a natural healer and she said, you know, you've got too much, uh, you've eaten too much sugar. So you got to take care of the candida. And, um, You want to really just cut out a lot of stuff. So anyhow, so what we did was we went on a sugar-free diet. So anything that had anything that had to do with sugar came out of the diet. So the obvious, obviously candy, ice cream, cakes, alcohol, chocolate, out. And then it went into things like starches. So tortilla chips, bread, pasta, tacos, out, flour tortillas, out and then tomatoes out, condiments out, fruits out. And it it boiled down to the only things we were eating were basically uh, pumpkin seeds, (laughs) a lot of water, herbal decaf herbal teas and uh, salads. And we did that for a month and I knocked off about 15 pounds and I'm now down about 13, 14 pounds out of that, which is great. But the biggest thing is I think uh, we also took supplements. We took uh, caprylic acid, which is a coconut oil uh, pill and it uh, eats up a lot of bad stuff. And also two different probiotics and one of them goes after candida. And from my research about 85% of Americans have a candida uh, which is, is from too much sugar in the diet. It's just an overload of sugar. So even like starches, even like things like potato, they turn into sugar. Plus, you have all these foods with added sugar uh, under whether it's sh- sugar, high fructose, corn syrup, corn syrup, succulose, anything. There's so much stuff that's bad for you uh, that uh, we had to cut out. And we did. And uh, it was not easy, I gotta tell you, because you know going into even a health food store, it's like I can't eat 85% of the stuff in here. But I'm so glad I did it because I feel fantastic. I've made, managed to still cut out most of that stuff and it's all sugar related. So for instance, eating a lot of fish for dinner, but uh wild caught fish with a salad instead of rice, instead of French fries, instead of potatoes, just the fish and salad and not eating my, my fish tacos, no tortillas, all stuff like that. But, and you start cutting all that stuff out And over time period of time, you feel a lot better. Plus the probiotics that go after the Candida really helped. And I really truly believe that most people do have a problem because I see different body shapes out there. And it's like, there's a lot of people that are overweight and I'm sure a lot of it is both physical and emotional. So anyhow, that's my story. That's worked for me. I want to hear what Sunita has to say about that, but let's talk to her let's bring her on here. She's a psychotherapist. An author based in East London specialties in exploring the link between the mind body and spirit and emotional healing and uh, She's a graduate of University of Birmingham. She's got a uh, degree in math science and education a postgrad in education and uh, she has an ongoing psychotherapy practice and uh, This is a I don't know if it's her second or third book, but um Uh, Their first book is called The Transcendent Mind, The Missing Piece of Emotional Well-Being. And then this other book that we're going to talk about tonight is all about emotional eating and the secret affair with chocolate cake. And I really enjoyed it because it gets into, you know, some of the drivers and triggers for emotional eating that I know I have, and I think a lot of people have, and how to deal with that stuff. So let's bring her on right now. Good evening, Sunita. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thank you, Robert. And I hope you're well, too.
1: I'm well, I'm very well and uh, thanks so much for being our guest again. It's really a pleasure having you on here and as I was telling everybody I really enjoyed the book The Secret My Secret Affair with Chocolate Cake, The Emotional Eater's Guide to Breaking Free. So, why don't we start right at the beginning? Tell us about, you know, the title of the book and what was the inspiration for it and why you decided to really like say this is something this issue is really beyond the dieting issue is beyond physical there's a big emotional aspect to it. I agree a hundred percent with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. My secret affair uh, with chocolate cake was actually my very first book. Um, and it was published in 2012. Um, and actually this book is pretty close to my heart. Or should I say the contents of the book? Because I, um, actually had always had what I would refer to as, um, an interesting relationship with food, let's say it was, you know, it wasn't always an eating disorder that, that came later, but it, but my, I would say that my eating was very disordered from a very, very young age. Um, and that Robert was really triggered by, you know, like when I look back at pictures of myself, um, I was a, a, a pretty sort of average looking child, you know, not, not overweight or not underweight, just average looking. But for some reason I, started to believe that i was overweight from quite a young age um and then the older i kind of got you know as soon as i was able to i remember being about 13 or 14 and really starving myself um for for the first time you know um and then i remember getting to kind of i think it was 17 18 when i joined my first diet club um and and i'd always had this kind of issue with food you know wanting to be thinner um and and basically what happened when i by the time i'd gotten to my mid 20s although my weight now somebody looking at me from the outside you probably wouldn't have guessed that there was anything wrong because at that point i'd managed to really you know keep a, keep a good hold on the weight so to speak um mm-hmm. and then i got to the mid 20s and i had some personal things going on in life um and all of a sudden, Robert, you know, that that disordered eating, the, the control, because I, yep. I still had the idea of restrictive and, and binging going on, it yep. just blew out of control. And I literally lost all my ability to diet. I just, I'd had it with dieting. I couldn't face mm-hmm. food restriction, you know, it was crazy. Um, and I, I developed full alone binge eating disorder now binge eating disorder is a relatively new disorder in you know labeled disorder um in the dsm um Mm -hmm. but i tell you what it completely ripped my whole life apart seriously um so my secret affair with chocolate cake is really how i recovered and what i learned along the journey you know um so yeah that's that's really the crux of the book
1: well, let's talk about some specifics so we can help our listening audience. You talk about there's a difference between body hunger and emotional hunger, and I think this is a really important, a really important section of the book that really just sets the uh, sets the tone as to setting up. Here's here's the issue.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I mean, one of the key things actually before um, Robert we we go into this. Um, what I am going to do is, if it's okay, is talk just a little bit about sort of how we've evolved, I think, especially within the last few decades. Um, you know, we've really gotten used to looking outside for the answers as opposed to what's going mm-hmm. on within us. And this is really, really coming through very strongly with, with with food and eating in the sense that, you know, we tend to look outside the answers that well what time is it you know looking at is it lunchtime is it dinner time is it time for me to eat and really Mm -hmm. what I learned along the way was that it was really about getting back in touch with your own natural innate signals within so body hunger is very much you know the natural hunger process so for example when you're eating food that is nourishing your body in the correct way so you talked about you know um, eating very healthfully for example When you're eating the correct nutrients and you're feeding your body and you're nourishing your body, you will find that every few hours naturally, you will become hungry, right? I mean, mm-hmm. every sort of four or five hours is different from person to person. Right. But body hunger is really your innate natural hunger. It's when your body is actually saying, right, I've digested all the food that you've eaten a few hours ago. I'm ready for, for some more fuel, you know? Um, so that's, that's really body hunger. Whereas emotional hunger is all to do with you know it, it's not necessarily the physical hunger the actual hunger that you're experiencing but it's more to do with the psychological hunger and there could be numerous triggers you know going to the movies for example um you, if you're used to having your popcorn or whatever when you're at the movies you may find that that trigger kind of sets in you know so that would be a psychological trigger that would go but that's the main difference Biological mm-hmm. is your actual need for food psychological trigger is obviously with a psychological
1: basis let me uh, let me just butt in on that because it's interesting. I I went to uh, the mall with my wife and son over the weekend in New Jersey, and they the, we have to cut through like the uh, lobby of this uh, movie multiplex. And I noticed the entire thing was set up differently. Before you'd walk in, and there would be here's where you buy the tickets. Well, they actually moved that off to the side. In the middle was back to back, Coke. Uh, Coca Cola and soft drink and uh, you know whatever they put on top of the popcorn now. So it was all built around the habitual uh, behavior of getting this big tub of popcorn, <laughs> popcorn with whatever that grease is they put on it, and a big soft drink. And that's I guess that's where the money is, as well as you know from the movie. But I, I'm sure the markup is much. Is far more profitable from the, uh, concessions, but you know, it gets into our, uh, repetitive behaviors. And you talk about that in the, in the book early on, also repetitive behaviors, like you just did about what, what time should you eat and what time you shouldn't eat. And just another aside to that, my, I know my wife went away to a, a yoga retreat and she said, one of these, one of the guys Shokananda, or I don't, I'm not sure what he's a pretty famous yoga guy. He would only eat like Once a week, something like that. And the guy was 17 years old and he was in great shape. He looked fantastic and he didn't, he didn't need more food. So I know I just threw a lot of stuff at you, but go ahead, take as much time as you want and talk about that stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. What you're saying is absolutely right. So let's just look at the the first point that you talked about, you know, the idea of, of going to uh, the multiplex and, and the popcorn and stuff. And, you know, there's a really, really interesting book actually out there for any of you guys that are interested. Um, and I think it's called Mindless Eating. I, I, I believe <laughs> it's by man. Dr. Brian. Yeah, Dr. Brian Wansink. I think it's uh, I, I think it's by you. You may have to double check that. Um, and what he actually sort of had a look at was that you know all of the triggers that actually cause us to overeat, like the marketing, for example mm-hmm. um, you know that there, there, there are so many triggers out there, and we don't even realize it's it's happening, um, you know. And I remember watching—I um, think it was a documentary in a very popular food chain. And apparently, this food chain—and I won't mention the name—but this food chain makes a lot of its money by asking its customers a very simple question when the customer's ordering food: "Would you like to supersize that?"
0: They'll
2: right, say, right. You know, I think I know which uh, one that is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, would you like to supersize? And you know, it's amazing how many people are like, "Yeah, you know, okay, as long." You know, when they are when they're asked, they sort of go. Right. Um, Go for the option, you know, so I think it's very, very important to become very mindful about our environment because our environment plays a huge, huge impact with our food choices, you know, like going down to the supermarket where they've got a a bakery, for example, in, in, in store. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the idea that you can actually smell, uh, you know, the, the, the wafting smell of the, of the freshly baking bread. Can you imagine how many people um, have a trigger for that and end up buying the fresh bread, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's really becoming very, very aware about your environment and, and really yeah. what it's doing to you on a psychological, biopsychological, uh, uh, from a biopsychological perspective, you know? Yeah, um, and- so that's, yeah sorry, go on.
1: No, that's okay. Um, well, also, speaking of bread, you know, another thing my wife and I went, we gave up everything that had to do with gluten, and I, I don't have any dis- celiac disease or whatever, but, you know, the, every bit of research I've done, the problem, I know there's the psychological factor and the emotional eating that you talk about in your book, but from a physical standpoint, there are a lot of problems with the food supply. Um, yeah. because the food is overly processed. So you have additives, you have the GMOs, you have gluten, you have hidden sugar, hidden salt and, you know, farmed fish, the, you know, the meat, uh, I just read another bad article about beef, uh, that was very damning of it. And, you know, if you have farmed fish, it's not a, not a good thing from everything I've read. So, you know, you've got to go organic while caught for some people it can be expensive, but you know, that food will sustain you a lot better than processed food. And I think what happens with fast food and a lot of the food from the supermarkets is you're getting a lot of calories, but you're not getting it. You're not getting a lot of nutrition. So what happens is, and you walk, walk down the street and look at how many people are overweight. And I can tell you this, I'm in New York and people walk around all the time. So people are pretty trim here for the most part, but still, people are big and I'm when I'm in New Jersey and where everybody's driving in cars and stuff and you go to the mall or something like that or the even the boardwalk and all people are big and this is not the Midwest or anything people are big now and it's a I think it's a combination of the emotional eating but actually the physical food so you know what can you do about physical food well you have to go raw you have to go organic and you have to be careful about sugar salt and gluten but emotionally Talk to us about um, you know the things you need to do emotionally that are in your book. Like another thing you mentioned is accepting your body shape. People are very Absolutely. self-critical.
2: Absolutely, and you know what I, you know what I'm going to do actually, Robert. I'm going to give a little bit Please. of background on, um, I, I guess, eating eating patterns, if that's okay with you. Um, and some of this you will find in the book. Some of it you won't, because obviously since I've written the book, um, you know I've kind of progressed. Uh, Even more Mm -hmm. than you know than than where I was at the point. So the first thing that I'm going to say is that the relationship that people have with food, okay, I tend to call it like a a spectrum, basically. Mm -hmm. That everybody has a different relationship with food, and most people sit somewhere on the spectrum. Okay, so some people have no issue relationship with food. You know, some people will have emotional eating issues but they're not actually that you know they're not that severe you know that they're controllable and then you've got the other side of the spectrum where you're sort of looking at your your binge eating disorder okay Mm -hmm. and I'm specifically talking about that because that's where my experience you know bulk of my experience lies so that's the first thing you first of all got to ascertain where you are and why this is important for uh, the listeners out there is because somebody who has Um, let's say really, really bad binge eating tendencies, the way that you're going to tackle your progress is going to be very different from somebody that has got mild kind of emotional eating tendencies. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So now the the, the thing that you uh, mentioned, which I think is really, really pertinent uh, in this conversation, right, Now, the psychology of the food, which I'll come to in a minute, is very, very important. But here's the thing that's quite often overlooked. The biology, what you're actually eating, may well be having an impact on your psychology. This Mm. is so important, right? And I think a lot of people don't realize this. You know, like when Mm -hmm. you you were talking about sugar, for example. So, you know, there are some people, like I know with myself, for example, I know that if I have a combination of too many starchy foods with dairy, so if I have like a lasagna, for example, it's Mm -hmm. almost as if it switches on certain receptors in my mouth or my brain where I just, there's no off point. You know, it's very easy for me to go into um, a a, a binge if I'm not careful because don't forget I, I come from that history, you know. So the first thing that I will say is, You need to be mindful about what you're consuming, but here's the thing, you've got to get the psychology of it right as well, because if you just focus on the correct nutrition, and if your Mm psychology is not in the right place, there is a danger of turning healthy eating into a diet, and for many people, when they begin to do that, they start to feel deprived and the cycle continues, you know, and it it becomes very much of a diet mentality. Am I, am I making sense with what
1: I'm saying? Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. I think, you know, wh- what I do is I do like almost, it's almost, it's almost self-hypnosis. I think about what's the benefit of not eating some of the things that I'm triggered to like crave and therefore I know I'm better off not eating that and that, that works for me. So what I'm doing in my own way is going inside to help me make the decisions about the food. So, yeah, Talk talk to us about you know for the layman out there how how we can kind of manage the process. Everybody has to do it differently, but I totally agree that your food choices can, in fact, the psychology and the psych psychology can, in fact, impact the food choices.
2: Exactly, you've got like a catch twenty two situation almost. Yeah. So when when we're looking at the psychology, okay, the, you know, one of, one of the most the, the important things that I would say is look keep number one your um your your progress or your goals realistic okay because there is a lot out there at the moment Robert you know what it's like with the media and stuff Um, and I know that men are just as much affected nowadays as what women are that you know it's the idea of I want to look like that or I want to be this body shape so the first step the first step that I would say is learn how to actually accept your natural body shape okay Mm -hmm. that you have a particular body shape so not everybody is born um, you know with with the same body shape some people are, are curvier than others um you know different different bodies different people so really have a look at look along your family line you know what are your parents like what are your siblings like what do you, you know what what are the the people in your extended family like you know there are going to be certain things that are very natural about you that you can't change so the first thing is accepting that you have a natural body shape that no matter what you do you could starve yourself your body is still going to take that basic shape Okay, mm-hmm. so that, that's one of the things. Now, the second thing when we come to look at the psychology, you know, the most, um, the, the psychology, people that make the most progress with emotional eating are the people that actually begin to genuinely develop self-respect and love for themselves, all right? Because, you know, look at it this way. When you really love and when you really respect yourself, you are, you, are, you are in a much better position to make healthier choices because they're coming from a place of self-love and self-respect.
0: Right. Okay?
2: Mm-hmm. If we say to ourselves, if we look in the mirror and we're constantly berating ourselves, oh, my God, don't like the way I look, you know, um, I've, I've gained weight, I've done this. If, if, if our self-talk is very, very negative, actually, we're not eating healthily necessarily for the right reasons. If You know what I mean? The reasons yeah. are coming from a fear-based, I need to change my body shape, I need to perform, I need to look like this. Now, team that, verse that against, I really love myself, I really respect myself, Mm -hmm. I want to feel good, I want to experience good health, I want to be a good parent, or X, Y, Z, you know, Mm -hmm. but but your motive for eating healthily is completely different in the second instance compared to the first. That will really help your psychology, which is, I think, what you tend to do naturally, isn't it, Robert?
1: Yeah, that's exactly. And thank you for articulating it in a much clearer form than I did, but that's exactly the point that, uh, don't make it a negative, make it a positive go inside to make the changes because, uh, you know, a lot of people, as you say in the book, only think about the end result when they're making, uh, they're thinking about dieting and a lot of their dieting comes from feelings of lack, uh, self-esteem and, um, you know, uh, uh, preventing themselves from having things that they enjoy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, you know. And I think that's a I think also the the process is very important as well that you know th- there are some people out there You know, Robert, who are easily able to say that, okay, I've got, let's say, 15 pounds to lose, and they put their mind to it, and, you know, they're able to do it quite easily. But then there are other people out there that have a different relationship, a different history where food is concerned, and for them, the more they focus on the weight, the harder it becomes. So as a rule of thumb, when I work with people um, in my uh, psychotherapeutic practice, when I work with people, my rule of thumb is quite frankly this. Focus on health. Don't even focus on the weight because, you see, if you take care of the health aspect and if you take care of, um, you know, feeding yourself the nourishing foods in balance and in moderation, mm-hmm. right. um, you know, if that if that works for you, um, the weight, weight is a byproduct of your relationship with food, you see. If you sort yeah. the relationship with food out, your weight will naturally begin to normalize.
1: Excellent. Now, one of the things you also mentioned is keeping a food diary, and I really was intrigued by that point because about, I don't know, about 10 10 or so, 15 years ago, I think, I started, I bought three journals for three years, and I wrote down everything I ate or drank during the day for three years. And I, you know, I found that, wow, I really like peanut butter and stuff like that. Now, it didn't, I didn't do anything about it. But it was really fascinating when I went back at the end of each year and read about what, what I ate each day, and it wasn't a, wasn't a pretty picture. So tell us about why keeping a food journal is actually and how it can be a helpful tool to get started.
2: Yeah, so a food journal, you know, number one, what and, and I say I do this a lot with a lot of my clients, I'll say, right, keep a food diary or a food journal for three days or five days or whatever, right? So keep, keep a food diary or food journal just to have a look at when you're eating. And you know what I ask people specifically to look for? So if you're wanting to keep a food journal, this is what I would tell you to specifically look for. Number one, how hungry are you? when you mm-hmm. eat. Okay, so I'm hoping people will be able to listen back, replay this um, this show back again. Number one, how hungry are you? Now, when we have a look at hunger, I tend to put hunger on a, on a, on a scale of one to 10. Okay, with zero being, you know, absolutely sort of starving. Um, five would be neutral, you're neither here nor there. And 10 would be like absolutely Christmas dinner stuffed or Thanksgiving dinner stuffed, you know, Um, can't kind of move, have to lie horizontal type thing. Um, Right. So really have a look at, well, where do you actually naturally start eating that, you know, and it's important for people to recognize this. If you are not hungry to begin with, you are not going to be able to sense your fullness signals. It's just the way it works. You've got mm-hmm. to be hungry for your body to acknowledge that you're then full. That's how the system tends to work. And a lot of people don't recognize that. You know, they'll eat according to the clock, and then they just overeat because the signal, the fullness signal, they, they, they're not reading it because they weren't very hungry in the first place. Okay?
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah.
2: so the first thing with your food journal is, right, how hungry am I? The second thing to look for is how When did I stop eating? How full was I? Okay, so did I stop it kind of satisfied? Was I comfortable? Had I overeaten? You know, what's going on with that? So, really assessing your physical hunger. The third thing Mm -hmm. to look for on your food journal is how does the food make me feel physically and emotionally? Um, an hour after or two after I've eaten okay because a lot of people will recognize like myself for example you will never catch me having in fact I don't really eat jacket potato anymore um, because it's just not very good for me but you'll never catch me having jacket potato beans and cheese lunchtime ever because within Mm -hmm. two hours or an hour of eating that I just want to fall asleep I'm not productive anymore you know Um, so that's telling me sorry
1: no, let's let's talk about that point for, for something because a lot of people, you know, you go out and uh, it's two people and you order a, you know, you order a pizza and uh, you have two pieces each and that should be plenty. And then, oh, well, there's two more pieces there and you, you keep eating that. And then it takes you a little while to get full. And a lot of what you write about is about stopping to eat when you're full. Help us and help our listeners with, you know, how can you, Find that point where I've had I'm satiated. I've had enough. I don't need need to eat that extra slice of pizza I don't have to eat those, you know another handful of tortilla chips with salsa I you know, I I know from my own personal experience. I can just keep eating even if I'm full I'll if I'm in the mood I'll just keep eating until I can't eat and that's ridiculous way to (laughs) That's ridiculous. It should be you're satiated and you stop eating. It's not about eating as a, as a, you know, as an activity. It's about you eat because you're hungry and then you should stop. But help us out with that because I think it's a real problem, particularly with Americans, where we just, we want a big plate. We go out to eat. The restaurants give us big portions or everybody gets mad if they don't get a big portion and every, you know, then it's a, you, you got to eat everything.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the key thing when we talk about kind of um, satiate, you know, say. Uh, satiety is that you know there's a few things that I will say firstly eat slowly okay try to cut your Mm -hmm. eating down because the quicker you eat that you know you're going to miss the fall signal you know because the brain takes time to register that the stomach is full i think it's about 20 minutes on average you know so you need to slow your eating down first of all okay um the the second thing in terms of actually what does it feel because a lot of people don't actually recognize what it feels to have enough Okay. Now there are a couple of ways that you can you can you can look at this. The first is to th- there is actually a little muscle, um, and I don't know whether you've tried this. You may have tried it from the book. I don't know, Robert. There's there's a little muscle kind of at the top of your stomach, which when you've had enough, you'll feel like a gentle sort of feeling, you know, in in the t- mm-hmm. At the top of your start and yeah. you know that you've had enough and it's there yeah. and once you practice listening to it um, you'll know that okay I can feel that feeling now so you know I want to stop eating um, and I think I talk more about that in the book but that's one yes. of the things that you can look out for. The second question to ask yourself when it comes to just being satisfied A lot of people find that they can't tell that, you know, say, am I full? I'm not sure. Am I full? I don't know. So I'll often say to people, turn the question around. Instead of asking, am I full, ask yourself, am I still hungry? Okay, because most people will know when they're hungry and, you know, when you ask yourself, well, am I still hungry? You know, and there's a great saying, and I think I use this in the book as well, that if, you know, If you're not sure, if if you're asking yourself, being hungry is a little bit like being in love. If you're not sure, you're probably not. Okay? Mm -hmm. So just remember that saying that, you know, if you're not sure whether you're hungry, you're probably not. Because you can tell when you're hungry and you can, you know, what that feeling looks like or feels like. Um, So I think that that's the sort of thing that you need to be looking for when we're looking for kind of satisfaction.
1: Great. Okay. This is uh, Guys Guys Radio. Our guest is Sunita Patani. We're talking about her book, My Secret Affair with Chocolate Cake, The Emotional Eater's Guide to Breaking Free. Um, Let's talk about um, the awareness pyramid. You have a section in the book about this pyramid towards the end of the book in terms of how you can kind of map out. uh, It's a template for uh, knowing where you are in terms of the eating uh, protocol, so to speak.
2: Yep. let's actually have a look at that let's pull the yeah the awareness pyramid okay now 135 that's right yeah there are basically seven um parts to this awareness pyramid okay um and this is generally how i think that you know people move from being in this place of emotional eating to what i would what i would say a kind of a natural or an intuitive eater Okay. Now, intuitive eating, the, the great thing about this is, and I'm not sure whether you picked this up, actually, Robert, when you read the book, actually, intuitive eating and learning the journey towards intuitive eating is kind of like going from um, somebody who is kind of not very spiritually um, attuned or aware to a high level of awareness. So in, intuition, you know, earlier you talked about the yogis who didn't need very much food to kind of eat um, to to Mm -hmm. survive and what you'll find is that the more aware you become and the more that you focus on your own bodily signals you will actually you'll notice how much how little food you actually need to survive um i mean for example the stomach is like the size of a fist you know the size of your fist so if you just put your fist in front of you you know make a fist have a look at it that's how much food you can fit into your stomach. It's not a lot, is it? If you just do it, and considering how much we actually tend to eat, that's not a lot of food there at all. So the, the journey towards intuitive eating, you know, the awareness pyramid actually shows you the, the levels that you will go through. So right at the bottom, we've got the unconscious emotional eater. So this is really a kind of where you come from a reactive perspective, you know. Um, and a lot of people do this kind of mindlessly. They just eat according to whatever triggers are going off without being aware that they're actually doing it. Making sense?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah. Let's also talk about, uh, first of all, I just want to say if anybody out there wants to call in 347-945-5834 if you want to ask a question. I know it's towards the end of the show, but I, I neglected to put our number up there early. So 347-945-5834. Um, one of the things I really love about your book is you get into uh, the uh, I am presence. Could you talk a little bit about the how the I am presence has uh, played a role in your life and how it plays a role in the psychology behind self-worth to help you make good decisions about managing your emotional eating?
2: Yeah, I think the key thing to recognize with emotional eating is that you know, there are different reasons for why people eat emotionally. Okay. But there is one thing that I can tell you that when you step into that zone of emotional eating, you are in that moment becoming unconscious. Even if you are eating, and I don't literally mean unconscious in terms of fainting. I mean, you're kind Mm -hmm. of going into a trance. You're going into um, habitual behavior, so to speak. And so what tends to happen is you know things kind of tend to happen and it's like a trigger's gone off and you you, you go into that right okay i'm just going to eat now so the emotional eating it begins um now presence is so so important Do you know what robert if we could just make the why, even if even if you weren't even if you didn't want to tackle what you were putting into your body or you didn't want to have a look at the psychology either If you could do one thing, and that one thing could be I'm going to be present when I eat. I'm going to engage with my food. I'm going to use my five physical senses. So, you know, my smell, taste, touch, everything. You know, I'm going to bring it all together. I'm really going to enjoy my food. That one step alone would move you towards. Um, Being more of an intuitive eater, move you up the pyramid, the awareness pyramid that we've just talked about. So presence has been absolutely essential because what presence is, presence basically means that you're awake. You're awake, you're paying attention, you're living in the moment and you're actually paying attention to what it is that you're doing. So, you know, in my opinion personally, I think presence is probably one of the most essential tools that you could Ever use you know as you're trying to break free from emotional eating
1: yeah and I think that applies to every area of our lives and that's why I brought it up I mean you mentioned here uh, one of the actually chapter two you have some I am uh, verbiage here and you start with I am truth and uh, I actually start every day with the second I wake up the first thing I tell myself is and it really helps me and that's why I'm sharing it is I say to myself I am aligned to truth. And it really gets me off to a great start to the day because it helps me be in the now. And I, I end it with, I go through a whole process, but I end it with I am here, I am here, I am here. And I think what happens with a lot of us is we get pulled away from the present moment. And when that happens, it's hard to kind of get a handle on things like just the day-to-day tasks that we have. Uh including eating and, uh, eating becomes a habit instead of, uh, something that's a, a pleasure and something good for sustenance. So I, I thought that was fantastic that you added that in the book. And I wanted to thank you for that. And also I want you to talk about that a little more and also talk about, uh, visualization. Cause you also mentioned visualization in the book and the importance of that in terms of managing the emotional aspects of dieting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, visual, right, let's just have a look at visualisation for a moment. Um, you know, a lot of people don't recognise that there was actually, the best way to illustrate this is there was a study done back in 1995. Now, it's completely got nothing to do with food, but it will illustrate the power of visualisation. And what happened, Robert, They researchers took a group of people that could play the piano, Okay, and they told them to practice um, a a, a certain sort of set of scales or whatever it was. And they had to practice this for a certain number of days. Um, And then what would happen is they would measure. um, I think it was the finger agility or something like that afterwards. So there was a group of people who were actually physically playing the piano. And then there was a group of people who were doing the exact same exercise, but they were visualizing it instead of actually playing it okay so mm-hmm. they weren't actually they weren't actually doing it they were just mentally visualizing it and what did they find well after the, the however many days that they had to do it for what they found was the group that was visualizing they achieved the same change in their fingers believe it or not as the same group that had actually played at the piano so in other words visualization wow. Was mm-hmm. that powerful um, that it was actually able to change the muscle, you know, the, the fingers and the muscles and whatever was going on in the fingers to produce the same outcome. Now, for those of you that are listening, do you want to do a quick experiment, actually, Robert? You up for doing that right now?
1: Absolutely.
2: Okay. Right. So here's what I want you to do, folks. And Robert, you're going to go along with this and let's see how you get on. You I want got you it. to close your eyes for a moment. Okay. Closed. And. I want you to imagine that you have a lemon in front of you, okay? So imagine that you've got a beautiful, succulent, fresh lemon, okay? Hasn't been treated with pesticides, it's fresh off the tree. (laughs) And I just want you to imagine, I want you just to imagine looking at this big, juicy, yellow lemon, and imagine feeling what the rough skin feels like. Bring it up to your nose, Smell the lemon, be outside of it. Now I want you to imagine you're going to take a knife and you're going to safely cut the lemon in half. And as you're doing this, as you've done it, you can see the zesty citrus lemon juices, and you can literally smell it. Now I want you to bring the half lemon to your mouth, and the smell should be really strong. Now the fresh Citrusy, zesty smell. You should be able to smell that. And I want you to place the lemon on your tongue. And as you do that, the flavors literally explode in your mouth. Okay. Right. Open your eyes. What happened, Robert? Okay.
1: Well, of course, uh, my mouth became, uh, uh, my saliva glands opened up and uh, my mouth was uh, watering.
2: Absolutely. There's no lemon there, but your body, just yep. through visualizing, mm. your body has yep. actually prepared for the sort of for, for the ingester for lemon, so to speak, you know. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. so visualization is very, very important because actually sitting down and taking out the time to calm yourself down, visualize what it is that you're gonna eat, prepares your body for digestion and also prepares your mind and body for what it is that you're about to put into you know, in, in, into your mouth. And if you don't know what you want to eat, visualization is a great way of testing. You know, I'm not quite sure what I want to eat. Okay, sit down and imagine. What would a chocolate cake feel like versus what would a Nutribullet feel like? What would a plate of pasta feel like? Really visualizing and, and, and literally trying to see how that body uh, food would actually sorry, sit in your body. So visualization, very, very powerful tool.
1: Fantastic. So tell us uh, one last thing for the audience. Um, Three tips, three bullet points. I know you've mentioned a lot, but if they want to get started, I know we want them to buy the book, My Secret Affair with Chocolate Cake, The Emotional Eater's Guide to Breaking Free, Sunita Patani. But just to get them started, three bullet points, what should they do?
2: Right, three bullet points, what should you do? Great question. Number one, give up the dieting. Okay, number one, give up the dieting because um, the more you, psychologically, you will get, it. what dieting will do, it will propel black and white thinking. Now, we haven't talked about black and white thinking today, but if you have a look in the book, I will explain the journey from black and white thinking to gray thinking to intuitive response thinking. Three different types of thinking that you need to develop, basically. So drop the dieting because it will it is not very good for your mindset, that's the first thing. The second thing that I would say is if you're eating and if you want to improve the quality of eating, try to eat foods that don't have a label, okay? Now, what I mean by that is, um, labeled foods I mean processed foods okay so try to stay away from foods that that have a label go stick with the fresh stuff the natural stuff the wholesome stuff because what that will do is it will literally it will reduce your cravings and it will start to balance out your your psychology as well okay um, and also be very very mindful about how the foods feel in your body you know don't just go by what the outsiders are telling you listen to your own body what what foods is your body craving or crying out for okay and number three i would say start to literally accept yourself as you are no matter what remember what i said earlier on that you're going to make better food choices if you love and respect yourself to love and respect yourself you first got to accept yourself even if you've got a lot of weight to lose or if you don't like the way you look or the way you feel accept that this is where you are and start here and now. So I think that they would probably be my three top tips.
1: Fantastic. And you're fantastic, and the book's great. So Sunita, please, first of all, thank you, and please tell our audience where they can find more about you and where they can pick up this book and also your other book, uh, which is your newer book, The Transcendent Mind.
2: Absolutely. So you should, guys, be able to uh, get those both off Amazon. I believe they're, they're on there. Um, you may also be able to order in at some of your stores such as Barnes & Noble as well. If you want to find out more about me, check out my website, which is www.sunita, that's www.sunita.com. Um, and there's loads of, there's some free stuff in that you can download um, from the homepage there. Um, and also catch me on Facebook. So again, Sunita Patani on Facebook and Twitter at Sunita Patani. So I'm hoping that I'm gonna get to connect with some of you guys.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well thanks so much, Sunita. You've been a great guest. Great books and great uh information to help people really manage their uh manage their emotions in terms of uh just the mental aspects of how they handle their day-to-day lives and also in something as tangible as eating so i really appreciate your being here and helping you know helping our audience out so thank you
2: thank you for having me and also actually robert i should mention 10th of september i'm actually going to be in seattle and oregon on the 15th i'm teaching workshops out there and all of the um, information is is on my website so i'll actually be with you guys Great,
1: great fantastic well i hope i hope uh, you have a very successful and a safe trip so also thanks. awesome and uh, you're a lovely person and i really enjoy speaking with you so thanks so much for being a guest on guys guys radio
2: you're welcome thank you
1: <laughs> cheers have a great uh remainder of your summer so everybody that is our show for this evening sunita patani the emotional eater Gu- eater's guide to breaking free um as i mentioned next week we have scott swaney the uh, fantasy football sherpa is going to be our guest we're going to talk about fantasy football but i wanted to leave you with one last thought i didn't mention this earlier but um you know today is the 40th anniversary of the release of the album born to run bruce springsteen and i'm a jersey guy and bruce is from jersey and actually i have a place down in the jersey shore and Springsteen's down there, and he's done a lot of great things for the whole northern part of the Jersey Shore, Asbury Park, and that whole area. And, uh, and it's interesting. If you read some of the trades, you can read about you know his career. It wasn't all smooth sailing. He came out with his first two albums, the Greetings from Asbury Park and then the Wild Innocent and the E Street Shuffle, and they weren't, they weren't received uh, with great uh, acclaim. And he was really on the spot to pull through. There was management ch- management changes at Columbia Records, and he really had to go all out. And the reason I'm saying this is that, uh, like, I'm a, I'm in the Boomer generation, and a lot of a lot of people I know, you know, they get to a certain point and they start looking back instead of looking forward. And you know, our uh, fifty is the new thirty, and our lifespans are longer now if we take care of ourselves. And you can always start a new dream and you've got to have a dream and you've got to have things to look forward to. Otherwise life gets old really quick. And then before you know it, you know, it's like it's curtains. So Springsteen said to himself, I want to make the greatest rock and roll song that's ever been made before. And he took six months on the song born to run. And then he finished the album. It took another six months. And at the end of that process, Born to Run was out as a single for six months while they we were working on the album, and then he was ready to just toss the whole album away because it he didn't know. he didn't know if it was good enough. and it was everything he had on the line. And that's how it should be. He let it get out there, though. He put himself on the line and look at who he became. And I think that's how all of us need to be. We just have to put it out there. Don't let your dreams die. Keep going. Keep dreaming. Keep making this world a better place. And remember that, guys, guys, finish first. I'll see you next week.